Um, uh, we're preaching now because uh, we want to worship a lot after this uh, message today, because this is a message about worship. Now, I want to be very clear what I mean when I say this is a message about worship. Uh, this is not just a message about singing, because worship is more than singing. So often we can compartmentalize worship in our minds and in our hearts to uh, what happens in the 25 minutes where we're singing here or well, when we turn Spotify on, on our, in our car and we're singing worship in our car. Um, but we're seeking today to let God's Word give us a holistic understanding of what worship is. Uh, and, and if you're here and you're not a Christian or you wouldn't call yourself spiritual or religious, I want you to hear something right off the bat. Everyone worships. Everyone worships. I want to jump, if we can, uh, on those slides to the definition of worship. To worship is this. It's to ascribe worth. Now, what does that mean? Another way to say it, it's to ascribe glory. It's to look at someone or something and to say, yes, that or you, you are what is most glorious. And then when our heart says you are most glorious or that is most glorious, we then begin to orient our entire life around that. We begin to live as if that is most glorious. And so a uh, Hebrew word for glory is just this idea of weight. There is something or someone, every one of us in this room, is looking towards to give our life weight. And in that way, all of us in this room are worshipers. You can't not be a worshiper. God, as he created us, hardwired us to worship. So the question today isn't, do you worship? The question today is, who do you worship? Or what are you worshiping? And uh, this is why this is an important topic. We're in the midst of a series just called The Church. And we're seeking to understand um, what does God desire for this beautiful, this awesome and beautiful thing he calls his bride? And we want to just be a church that's about the things God says his church should be about. And so we've talked about the mission of our church and what we believe the mission of the church should be to glorify God. The church is first and foremost about God's glory. It's about him being worshipped. It's about him being lifted high. How is he lifted high? By the making of disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we exist as a church to bring God glory by making disciples of Jesus Christ. But if we're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to know what disciples look like. What are we making? And how we say that around here is disciples of Jesus worship Christ, they walk with Christ, they work for Christ, and they witness for Jesus Christ. And today, we want to talk about this first W, this idea of worship. And so, um, today, we're going to kind of break this into its uh, two parts, two parts to today's sermon, and you see them right there on your notes. We're going to talk about the what of worship. What is worship? And, and if worship isn't just singing, what, what, is, what does God understand worship to be, and what's He calling us to as His people as worshipers? But I think we're going to get to the end of that first section, and we're going to go, yes, I want that. I want my life to be a worshiping life. How does that happen? And so part two is all about how, how does God make us into the worshipers he desires us to be. Uh, if I can, for clarity's sake, let me just let the cat out of the bag from the beginning. What is the sermon all about? Here's today's sermon in a sentence. Worshiping God means offering my whole self as a holy sacrifice to him in all things and at all times. 
This is what we're going after. This holistic understanding that worship isn't 25 minutes a week on Sunday morning. It's not just the times I got worship playing in the kitchen, worship music playing in the kitchen. That God's idea of worship and what he longs for in us, his children, is this offering of our whole self as a holy sacrifice to him in all things and at all times. And so uh, this morning, my eyelids open and I felt this unbelievable weight. Um, early on in the church, we're only four years old, we're, uh, but first couple of years of the church, I would have walked in here just moody and grumpy, um, not really understanding what the weight or the just feeling uh, is. Uh, I'm learning that when I wake up on a Sunday morning feeling that, um, I sense a heightened, um, there's a heightened spiritual war going on in my own head and heart. And then I went, it's not surprising we are teaching on worship. Because y'all listen, there's a war for worship in our heart. There, we, are, we are in a war for hearts that will worship the one true king. And when we walk out of here, and not even when we walk out of here, as we sit here, there's going to be competing things battling for our head and heart for ultimate worship. And so it's like five in the morning. I'm like, why do I feel grumpy already? Why am I heavy already? After first service, Erica was like, are you okay? What's going on? I'm like, there's this weight, and I get what, it, there's a war for our hearts. And so I want to do this. I want to start today a little, everything about today is unique and how we typically do. But I, I'm going to give us a silent moment. And in that silent moment, I want to guide your prayer with the Lord in these areas. Will you pray in the silent moment coming up that God would help you truly understand what his definition of worship is? Would you ask him to reveal to you any corners of your heart that you're not wanting to relinquish, where your whole self is not wanting to come to him and worship? Would you pray that he would, not, that he would allow you to... Um, Keep the distractions out of your head for the next 25 minutes. The enemy would love to get you thinking about everything else but Romans 12, 1 and 2 right now. And then if there's anything else you're worshiping, a lesser God, an idol, that in the only way that our good and gracious God does with the gentle conviction in which he does it, that he would show that to us today so that we could repent and leave worshiping the one true king. So silence right now and let's prepare our hearts for the word of God. Lord, we're here for you. I pray in this time that you would teach us what you desire of our lives to be worshiping lives for you, that you would um, shine light on the corners of our heart where we want to hold on to things and not give you ultimate worship, 
I pray against distractions. And I pray where we are worshiping idols, Lord, we would cr- they, those would be crushed um, today, and we would worship you, the one true king. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I haven't said it already, I'm in Romans 12, and I'm going to be in Romans 12. If you need a Bible, there's uh, un- under seats nearby you, you'll find copies of God's Word. Um, and if, as, as I say, we're turning to Romans 12, if you're familiar with the Bible, you kind of understand what that means. You know that what that means is we're going to be picking up reading in this letter written by the Apostle Paul, but we're going to be picking it up about two-thirds of the way through the letter. Uh, but if you're newer to the Bible, you need to understand that like, just like when you got a letter in your mailbox, you wouldn't jump two-thirds of the way in, start reading it there, and think that you had an understanding of all that is going on. Uh, we need to understand something as we begin to read Romans 12. And I want to use just the beginning of verse 1 in chapter 12 to help us understand what's going on. Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of of God. And so we can all read that and go, okay, I kind of understand what's going on. The writer of this letter, he's going to make an appeal, and he's going to make an impassioned appeal. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. But that therefore that we have in verse 1 tells us something, that this appeal that he's about to make, uh, it hinges on what he has written up to this point. And I would argue this therefore, in the beginning of chapter 12, Paul is hearkening back to everything that he has written in chapters 1 through 11. Now, um, as we get to chapter 12 in the book of Romans, Paul turns the focus practical. He says, now now I want you to understand, in light of all that I have written in the first part of this letter, what does this look like? How does this play out in our lives? And chapter 12 on gets very practical. But uh, in the Christian life and in the study of God's Word, we have to understand all of the application God gives us is always rooted and founded in doctrine. Uh, Like, we can't live out the Christian life apart from an understanding of what God says. And Romans 1 through 11 is chock full of the riches of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I I, I can't read all of it right now. Uh, And so I picked a part in Romans chapter 8 that I think can give us a sampling of, like, what has Paul been writing in chapters 1 through 11. So let me read uh, this out of Romans 8. And, like, as I read it, feel free to worship. Okay. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, listen to this part. For God has done, listen to all of it, okay, but, but pay special attention to this part. For uh, uh, the law... Uh, of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, I give us this sampling because I want us to understand in the book of Romans the unfolding of the beauties of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, God has done for us what the law weakened by the flesh could never do in the sending of His own Son. That in knowing this Son, through faith in this Son, the Spirit of God now dwells in us. There's now relationship, there's now union, and through union with Christ, there's victory and hope over sin and over uh, death. Paul now comes to this practical part of his letter, and he begins the practical unpacking. Okay, in light of all of the beauty of the riches of the gospel of Jesus, what does this look like in our life? And he talks about worship. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, let's define it together up front so we're all on the same page. What is worship? Worship is presenting my whole self to God as a holy sacrifice. Worship is presenting my whole self to God as a holy sacrifice. I want to combat, and I'm going to fight against, and I'm going to scratch and claw against us compartmentalizing worship into the times we're just singing. Yes, I'm going to talk about singing at the end of the message because, yes, Scripture, one of the most commanded things in Scripture is sing to the Lord. And one of the ways that we express our worship and praise is through singing. But if we think worship is just the times we're singing, we're missing out on the holistic offering of our whole selves at all times and in every way to God as worship. And so you came to church today to worship. And you get that, and that doesn't sound weird to you, but guess what? You're going to leave church today with the purpose of you're going to go home and make a peanut butter jelly sandwich for your kids to the glory of God. You can worship the Lord in the making of a peanut butter and jelly, in the changing of a diaper, in the putting food on another high chair tray. You can worship the Lord tomorrow as you're doing an expense report at work. And it's possible that we don't do those things in a spirit of worship. Uh, it's possible that instead of going to work tomorrow as an offering of worship to the Lord, we can begin to worship our work. It's possible that in seeking to serve our family in a spirit of worship, we can actually begin to worship, to look at our family unit and to say, you are what's most glorious, and then begin to orient our entire life around it. So there's this, this war for worship in our heart. There is so much at stake, but what God calls us to is the presenting, the offering of our whole selves to Him all the time and in every way to say, think about this. This week, I want us to actually think, okay, in what I'm about to do, at Lord, 
let me do this right now. This small, what I, the thing I have done without thinking hundreds of times over the last few weeks, how do I do this right now in a way that brings you worship? Like, that changes the way that we live. Worship is the presenting of our whole self to God as a holy sacrifice. So now, um, let's get practical on this a bit. I'm not yet to the how, but I really want us to think about what does this look like? What does bringing your whole self, presenting your whole self as a sacrifice, holy to the Lord, look like at your home? Kids, Living in mom and dad's home, what does bringing your whole self to the Lord as a holy sacrifice look like? I bet mom and dad have some ideas they could share with you. Mom and dad, what does it look like? How do you train and instruct and discipline again in a way that is worshipful to the Lord? I preach this message. I've already preached this message. You didn't know we have a 9 o'clock service. I already preached this message. Then I help Erica get the four kids out to the van. And from this stage to that van, pushing my one-year-old daughter into her car seat, right? Like, just try, she's arching. She's, I feel the worship drain. <laughs> the girl's got an arch on her. And like, I'm literally saying, okay, like, okay, Lord, all right. How do I get her into her car seat in a way that worships as I do? Think about that. What does it look like? I, uh, um, uh, I think we often think, like, okay, I'm leading my family to worship. We're coming, we're coming to church to worship. Yes. And my question is, how do you bring Jesus back home to worship? All week long. Um, what does worship look like in your job? What does worship look like? Not worshiping your work, not worshiping your career. We know that can happen. We know um, climbing some um, uh, um, ladder can become the most glorious thing in our life. Not that, but how is God worshiped? How is God worshiped in when your alarm clock goes off tomorrow? And for those of you who will step on to a job site or an office, how is God worshiped in that? What does worship look like in your work? How do you do it in such a way that um, as a follower of Jesus Christ, your work ethic would, would be fitting for a follower? How do you do it in a way that the ethical guidance and the integrity in which you do your job is fitting for what worship would be to God? Or my question for us, and, and it's convicting, and I mean it to be convicting for us. Are we comfortable singing five worship songs on Sunday and then going and cutting ethical corners Monday through Friday? Are we comfortable singing five worship songs at a church service on Sunday and being the lazy employee Monday through Friday? Are we comfortable singing five worship songs and being the unjust employer Monday through Friday? Jesus is after holistic worship. 
And there's a way that you can lead your company. There's a way you can be an employee. There's a way that you can work in such a way in which Jesus is magnified and made much of. And even if you don't like your job, hold on, let me, let me call a timeout and go a little outside on this. Even if you don't like your job, even if you know this is not the end goal, you can show up tomorrow and worship God through it. Let me just encourage you towards that end. That you would show up and God would be worshipped in it tomorrow. Uh, what does worship, what, if worship is ascribing glory, and what we worship are the things we point to and say, you are most glorious and I will orient my life around your glory. What does worship look like in regards to our money? Jesus warned us the battle royale for worship will be with money. What used to be the green paper in our wallets that is now plastic cards in our wallet, like this will be the battle royale. This will be the octagon in which like battle for the worship of our heart. Some of you are like, octagon, what is he talking about? So what does worship with our money look like? More on that. In a bit. Um, this is really important. Part of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice is actually offering our physical bodies. In sexual purity, have you offered your whole self to the Lord as a holy sacrifice? Just for a minute, junior high, high school, college students in the room, have you drawn the, the boundaries of sexual purity so far in the God-glory zone that everyone would know ultimately the worship of that person is clear and that is the Lord? And if even just your pastor saying that right now sparks all kinds of shame, guilt, and conviction, I'll tell you straight up, junior high, high school, and college, I couldn't have said that with integrity. The lines weren't drawn there. And my prayer for you is that you wouldn't walk out of here just smothered in the shame and guilt of that. You would walk out of here um, in the joy of the gentle conviction of God to repent and draw him where God says to draw him. Oh, and adults, by the way, it's not just a young person thing. Have we offered our bodies sexual purity? Have we made a covenant with our eyes and are we warring for the protection of our minds? And are we guarding our heart? What does, this is going to be very specific, but one I felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting me to list today. What does bringing our whole selves to God as a holy sacrifice look like when we go on vacation? Or a weekend away with the buddies? Okay, here's the deal. When we go on vacation, a heart to worship God doesn't go on vacation too. And, and there is this false, there's this, there's this lie of culture and there's this lie of the enemy. And I hear it in two ways. I hear it in the testimony of the person who says, and then I went to college and then I wanted to have fun and then after I got married, we started having kids, and I knew we should get serious about our faith. 
Think about the false lie of that, that testimony. I wanted to have fun, and then I wanted to get serious. It's a lie. And I hear it from the people, like, like, we go on vacation, and man, just looking to like a weekend away of just reality, and just like, we're just going to go have a blast, and then like come back to reality, and, and make the kids their lunches, and, and listen, that is a perverted understanding of that which is fun. You and I both know the things that we looked at as fun when we were 18, 19, 20, 21 years old have created some of the most lasting like scars on our heart. Come on, you with me? Don't leave me up here alone. And so I just say to all of us, to students, Christian students, you don't go on spring break to have fun and then come back to reality. To all of us, we don't go on weekends away with the friends to have fun. A heart to worship God is with us all the time. I know that was specific, but I'm trusting the Lord. He had something in that. So, he gets all of me all the time. This is his idea of worship. Now, we, you're up on a Sunday morning and you're here because you want this. Like, all of us are convicted right now. I'm convicted right now. As I was listing those areas out Thursday, I was convicted over things that I'm like, okay, i got to preach on this, but I see in my own life some things that need to be oriented more in worship to the Lord. So the question is, how? What does this look like? How do we pursue this kind of offering of ourselves as a holy sacrifice to the Lord all the time and in every way. I'm so thankful verse 2 helps us with this. Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Let me read it again. Do not be conformed to this world. Let me say it again. Do not be conformed to this world. And oh, by the way, I find it so easy to spot conformity to the world and other people. And I find it so hard to spot it in myself. It's so easy for me to look at a friend or a family member who's like off and like, wow, look at them. Like they're just, I find it so hard to spot it in me. And I'm literally sitting there in my office this week like, Lord, I got to be honest. I have to have integrity with you. There, there are ways I don't even see that I'm conforming to the culture around me and I don't even know it. Lord, open my eyes to see where I am I conform. Jesus has a way and this world has a way and they war. They're at odds. And they're, because like a fish in water, I live in a culture, I don't even sometimes know how I'm conforming to the world until God in his goodness by the power of his Holy Spirit begins to convict me and show me. By the way, um, great read, A Practical Guide to Culture. Practical Guide to Culture, John Stone Street, one other author, read it. It's been eye-opening for me. And so, do not conform to this world. We're going to talk more about this, but keep going in verse 2. But be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, what happens then? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and, per and perfect. 
How do we do this? What does a life of worship look like? How do we get there? How do I do this? I reject conformity to the world and am transformed by the renewal of my mind. You're like, okay, not super helpful. It just says exactly what it already said in the Bible. Let's unpack it. What does conformity, I'm going to, let's talk about conformity. What does conformity to the world look like? And then let's talk transformity. Not a word, made it up, but I like it. Conformity, transformity. Let's talk conformity first. And I want to talk about conforming to the world with us evaluating the T's of our life, the T's of our life. So let's look at these. When you look at your time and what you spend time on, does your, and you can, you can, practically do this. Look at a daily planner and look at your calendar and see what gets scheduled in your life. The things that get scheduled in our life are what we prioritize. And that which we, that which is somehow related to worship in our life, we often spend time on. And so, like, I would just love all of us to be sitting over our calendars tonight looking and asking ourselves, what does the way I spend my time say about that which is important to me? Whether that's with an iPhone or whether you're still stuck in the early 90s and use a paper calendar. What does your calendar tell you about that which is important to you? And now, um, as I list these T's, the, um, the great temptation will be to have an excuse for every one of these. Yeah, 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 but I'm just in a season, and, and my calendar right now doesn't ultimately reflect that which I would say are the priorities of my life. Right? When we were planting the church, I said that to Eric all the time. It's just a season. It's just a season. It's just a season. It's just a season. And one day I got slapped out of the season when she looked over on the couch and said, we're roommates. I'm like, I'm literally working on my laptop. She's like, we're roommates. What do, you, what do you mean? And the priorities of that season of my life were so out of whack. But it was revealing idols in my heart. Don't come plant a church and fail at it. Where you're spending your time will reveal something about worship going on in your heart. If you're working 80 hours a week, you have a worship problem. And if you're ticked right now, take it up with the Lord. Wow, that just got heavy. Didn't say that in first service, so <laughs> talk. We talk about what we love. So uh, this week, pretty special week in the Graham household, introduced my oldest two sons to their first ever Michigan State basketball game. Yeah, I know, at IU, IU won, I know, shut up. <laughs> From last Saturday, I talked about it every day with that play. I reviewed the lyrics to the Michigan State fight song. I looked up a definition of one word in the lyrics so I had an understanding of what the word vim meant. Michigan State has the word vim in their fight song. Who knows what that means? Finally, Sunday night, Erica goes, yo, dude, 
It's like five days away. Stop. We talk about the things that we love. Now, hear me. I think God gives us good things to enjoy. Like, we shouldn't feel convicted. Like, whoa, I really enjoy this. I'm convicted. Maybe it's an idol. No. The question isn't. The question is, are you looking to that thing as that which is most glorious, or are you worshiping the Lord as that which is most glorious as you enjoy the thing that He's given? Is the worship going vertical? As I'm sitting at assembly hall with my two oldest sons, is the worship going vertical? Lord, thank you for this memory-making moment. Or is the worship going assembly hall, right, down to what's going on there? What the things we talk about reveal that which we're treasuring. And if you want help knowing what the things you talk about are, ask your spouse, ask your kids, Ask your parents, what do I talk about? Treasure, our money, God's money he entrusts to us. In, uh, in college, I realized that my bank does this thing where at the end of the year, you can print out a report and see where you spent all your money. Wow, talk about convicting. In Crawfordsville, Indiana, like the best restaurant's Applebee's. You should have seen as a junior in college how much money I spent at Applebee's. It was horrifying. I would challenge you, if you're married, if you're single, whatever, print out 2019's report and just look at where you spent your money. I would challenge you. If you are strapped under an insane amount of debt, what are you ultimately worshiping? If you're piling on the debt just to keep up with the Joneses, your kids are like, who are the Joneses? What does it say about the worship war going on in our heart? In our thinking. We think about what we love. We dream about what we love. Our thinking is a battleground. Our mind is a battleground. For the war of worship. And thinking is last on purpose. Because I want us to look back at verse 2 right now. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How we pursue this life of worship. Is we, we do not conform to the way that this world operates as Jesus followers. But we are transformed by the renewal of our mind. And listen. I want to tell you how good our God is to give us the tools to renew our mind. First and foremost, our mind is renewed and we are made new when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Say amen. We become a new creation. That which we used to love is no longer the thing we ultimately love. He makes us new. He gives us His Holy Spirit. His Spirit indwells us. Our affections begin to grow and change. But then He's so good to us that He's left us His living and active Word. Not His dry and dead Word. He's left us living and active Word. And as we read it, and as we study it, as we meditate on it, as we hide it in our heart, He renews our mind by the power of His Word. We, we begin then to live with his word hidden in our heart to go, man, everyone says that's normal, and everyone says that's what I should do, and everyone says that's how I should spend my money or look at my career, but as I study this word, it seems there's a different way. 
And it seems this way is the way God is calling me to. And our mind is renewed. And it's so good. And then guess what? The war rages. And all of us in here know when we're getting pulled back into like just being conformed. And the Lord and his goodness in the row, the circle, and the chair says, Brock, 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 remember, come on, come on, come on. That's not the way. It feels like the way. The current's pulling you like it's the way. Everyone's telling you it's the way. But Brock, remember, that's not the way. And our mind is renewed. Now, then I want to show us how verse 2 ends. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the what. What's the what? The will of God. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do we do this? How do we pursue a life of worship where we bring our whole self as a holy sacrifice all the time and in all things? We reject conformity to the world. We are transformed by the renewal of our mind. And then with a renewed mind, I can then discern the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So when, when, when God is so at work in our heart, where we say, I know that's the way culture tells me to go, but I'm not going to conform to that. Because God is teaching me through his word the way that he has actually called me to, I can now discern what is God's will, what he wants, what his way is, and now let me bring it full circle. When we're able with a renewed mind to discern the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, we then know how to offer ourselves as a holy sacrifice all the time and in every way. And God looks down. And he says, that is worship. Amen? So what about singing? If worship is presenting our whole self to God as a holy sacrifice in all things and at all times, and if God commands then, sing to me, sing to me, praise. Part of us bringing our whole selves to God as a holy sacrifice in all things and at all times is being obedient to this command to sing to him. So this week I had the awesome privilege of doing chapel on Wednesday at Greenwood Christian Academy. And y'all, I wish you could see it. The elementary kids came in there and worshiped their faces off. There's a kid in the back flossing to the glory of God. <laughs> I thought if we could only see Pastor Mark on a Sunday morning flossing <laughs> to the glory of God. But as I was, I mean, they were going crazy. Father Abraham had many sons. And the Holy Spirit gently in my heart just said, Brock, watch and learn. Y'all, part of bringing our whole self to him at all times and in every way is when we sing to the Lord, we sing to the Lord. And now listen, I get some weeks are hard and some weeks are harder than hard. And some weeks the last thing you feel like doing when you walk into this room is singing to the Lord. Don't fake some emotional exuberance. If you're walking in here broken and contrite, 
Just bring all of yourself broken and contrite. And literally just cry out to him. And if you're walking him exuberantly joyful, bring the exuberance for the Lord. Just bring all of you into the worship service. Because it's what fuels then bringing all of us into a life of worship all week long. I just ask, as we're this worshiping family on mission together, that we bring all of us in broken and contrite hearts, and we bring all of us in joyful exuberance, and we bring all of us everywhere in the middle of that spectrum, but none of us feel okay just walking in here going, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all people. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering. Don't bring a yawn. You with me? Is there, let, let's go take a hill, right? Like, is there a hill to take? Let's go. The hill to take right now is in our heart. We're closing with an extended time of worship. The first, sir, the first song of which we'll sing, I'm going to leave you seated. You probably won't know it. It's a song called New Wine. The idea is that, Lord, in anything, and the, the first line is literally in the pressing, in the crushing, and in the pressing. Create in me a new wine. Like this idea, like create something fresh in me of worship to you. Create a spirit of righteousness in, in the good times and the bad and the hard things and in the easy things. Let me come as an offering to you. Create something in the midst of me in this. And then there's a line in the song that says this. Make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. Now, think about that lyric. That is a heart of worship. Literally, I, I do not lay claim over my own life anymore. Make me whatever you want me to be. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be.